Welcome to Living Faith Lutheran Podcast. I'm Pastor Scott Martz. Visit us online at living-faith.church or in person every Sunday morning at 10 a.m. in the Midlothian Conference Center, Number 1 Community Circle Drive, Midlothian, Texas, 76065. And now be encouraged by this week's message. Normally I have a printout for you for the message. Uh, this morning is an exception, uh, but the text for our Easter message is Isaiah chapter 52, verses 13 through 15. Listen now to the word of God. The suffering and glory of the servant. See, my servant will act wisely. He'll be raised and lifted up and highly exalted. Just as there were many who were appalled at him, his appearance was so disfigured beyond that of any human being, and his form marred beyond human likeness. So he will marvel many nations, and kings will shut their mouths because of him. For what they were not told, they will see, and what they have not heard, they will understand." I was reminiscing this week over Easter and Easter sermons, and I have preached 47 separate Easter messages. And you might be wondering, some of you know this is my 25th year of ministry, how can you have preached 47 messages? And the answer is that up until two years ago, I preached a separate sunrise service from a festival service. And you add it all up, and It's 47 sermons. By the way, this was the first Sunday in many, many years that I was not preaching at a sunrise service. Felt a little bit different this morning, not having the sunrise. But Easter is one of those days that the Bible is so rich in content concerning the the last week of Jesus' earthly life, his state of humiliation, and then his passion and his suffering and death, and then coming back to life and the events that took place the very first Easter and a week later and during that 40-day period that he appeared to his followers. The Bible is so rich with information from the Holy Spirit, it is truly a lifetime supply of Easter messages. Now, most of my messages on Easter fall into the category of what's called Christian apologetics, where where I would preach and, and, and based on Scripture just point out Again, the the overwhelming evidence of the empty tomb. There's a grave in every religion. Only one is empty. And that's true biblical Christianity. I've focused on the evidence of the grave clothes. So you have Mary Magdalene all emotional, and and she runs back and she tells Peter and, and John the body's not there, and they come running to the tomb. John outruns Peter, and he looks from a distance. He sees the grave clothes literally collapsed in place. Peter goes in first. He sees the grave clothes collapse in place. He scratches his head. And John goes in. He sees the grave clothes collapse in place. And he believes. That alone was evidence that Jesus had risen from the dead. Or consider Mary, Mary Magdalene. She was so 
torn and upset. She was there at the crucifixion. And, and the, the death of Jesus was absolutely horrible and what he suffered. And, and she was greatly affected by this. That was her Messiah. That's the one she's putting trust and faith in. And he's crucified. And, and the very first Easter, she's expecting a corpse that she's going to put more spices on the body. And the body's not there. And she's upset. And, 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 and seeing the, the men who are actually angels and then the gardeners who, who's actually Jesus and as if Mary could drag a, a dead body back into the tomb. Where do you put him? I'll put him back. But then Jesus saying, Mary... And the voice of Jesus calling her name, and she knew without a doubt, this is Jesus. He, he's been raised back to life, and she holds on to him, and she won't let go. She lost him once. She doesn't want to lose him a second time. And Jesus eventually has to say, Mary, stop holding on to me. Go tell the others that I've risen from the dead. Or the countless eyewitnesses of Jesus. Realize there were 500 eyewitnesses of the resurrection of Jesus. Jesus in his resurrected body showing them his hands, scarred hands inside, like doubting Thomas. Jesus saying, hey, Thomas, look at my hands inside. Stop doubting and believe. And Thomas saying, my Lord and my God, recognizing the divinity for who Jesus is and knowing that, that he had done all these things. And, and most of my messages, again, have been Christian apologetics. Well, well this Easter, 2019, I want to focus on the human nature side of Jesus and his human nature side coming back to life, resurrected. Because living new is what resurrection is all about. Jesus has experienced that. Now, Jesus Christ from all eternity is divine. Together with God, the Father and God, the Holy Spirit, the Holy Trinity, he's always been. He is God. He is eternal. Some 2,000 years ago, though, Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, he stepped into our world. He took on human flesh. He became fully human. He remained totally divine, but he's also now fully human. He will remain the God-man forever. And when we see Jesus, and there will be a day, you're going to be in the presence of the divine, because he is God. But you're going to also be in the presence of a man, because he is fully human. Now, Jesus is referred to as the second Adam. The first Adam, the, the first person ever created, the, the original Adam, uh, came from the dust of the ground, the way God did it. He, he took dust and he molded it and he breathed into Adam and gave him life. And, and he was perfect as God created him. But as you and I know, he used his free will together with his wife Eve to freely choose to sin against God. And that forever shattered our world. It's been a broken world ever since Adam and Eve's original sin. Now Jesus, the second Adam, he did not come from the dust of the earth. He came from heaven, the second Adam. And, and he's able to do what Adam, the first Adam, was unable to do. His entire life from start to finish to live without sin. Adam was tempted once and he fell. Jesus was tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he remained without sin. He's the second Adam, and, and, and again, he accomplished, he accomplished what the original Adam could not do. Now, even though Jesus, some 2,000 years ago, was in what's called his state of humility, meaning that he did not use his divinity to his advantage, he enjoyed living. He, he enjoyed 
life. He enjoyed breathing. I mean, this was the one who, again, the, the fallen world, but it was his father's world. Jesus is part of the creation. And when he took on flesh, again, Jesus was, was full of life. Jesus had boundless energy, even though he was in a state of humility. We know this from Mark's gospel. Jesus had a very short three-and-a-half-year ministry. He took advantage of all that time. Uh, Mark tells us that they would do this, and Jesus would preach here, and he would heal people. Then immediately they would travel to another spot. Jesus would minister, and immediately they'd go to another place. Jesus, again, was, was full of life. He, he was bound full of, of energy. And, and Jesus, as our Savior, as being both true God and true man, he enjoyed that. Uh, he, again, was filled with life. I, I love parts of Jesus' ministry, like walking on water. It's like the thrill of that, being able to walk on water, being divine, but he's fully human and, and decides he's going to walk on water. And we see, the, again, the unique person uh, of who Jesus is. Now, besides Adam, before the fall into sin, there has been no one who has ever walked on this planet who has been healthier than Jesus Christ. No one. He was in the prime of his life, age 33, full of health, full of strength, fully active, fully alive. And this helps explain why Jesus was so stressed out the evening before his death. The Garden of Gethsemane, and those who hear the Good Friday service, we, we walk through that, the Garden of Gethsemane. He was stressed out. He was overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Luke's gospel says that he was sweating blood. You see, Jesus was not suicidal. He did not have the desire, again, to end his life. He was in no way suicidal. He had the desire to keep on breathing. That's why Jesus prayed, if there's any other way to redeem the world other than this bitter cup that's going to end in my death, give me that way, not this way. But not your will, not my will, but your will be done. Now, I am amazed at how God created the human body. And again, we're, we're in a state of sin. We're fallen. But still, the way God created us, the, 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 our bodies want to live. Death is an unnatural thing, really. I was reminded of this several years ago. I've been at the bedside of many people now who have died. Um, and one man comes to mind who was in his late 40s. He was our, our property chairman in my previous congregation. And he was a good man in Christ, diagnosed with cancer and thought that he had it licked, but then it came back with vengeance. And his final days, everyone was amazed. His, his dad, I was amazed, his, the doctors and nurses, his heart just kept on beating and he kept on breathing. And then he finally breathed his last. Now, if that's true of a man, again, that had a sin nature, desiring to keep on living, how much more so is that of Jesus Christ? Now, even though Jesus was healthier than anyone who has ever walked this planet, with the exception, perhaps, of Adam before the fall, Jesus would end up feeling more pain by contrast, than any other person who has walked this planet. 
Isaiah 52, our text, was written 750 years before Christ walked this earth. For us, Isaiah was inspired by the Holy Spirit some 2,800 years ago. And the Holy Spirit, through Isaiah, talks about the servant. The servant is the Christ. We know him as Jesus Christ. And, and Isaiah correctly prophesies that he will be highly exalted. He will be lifted up. And we're going to see that one day. But Isaiah also correctly points out his humility. So verses 13 and 14 of Isaiah 52. See, my servant will act wisely. He will be raised and lifted up and highly exalted. Just as there were many who were appalled at him, his appearance was so disfigured beyond that of any human being and his form marred beyond human likeness. Jesus, being fully human, full of life, fully healthy, how is it that he ends up dead? Jesus knew he'd be handing his life over to the hands of wicked men. That disfigurement would begin at the hands of what is equivalent to the, to the United States Supreme Court. It was the Jewish Sanhedrin. They were the, the judges. They were the Supreme Court of Israel. They were supposedly godly men but they had murder in their heart. And they had Jesus arrested in the garden. They had him shackled. They, they brought him to the high priest's courtyard. And they tried him illegally. Uh, we know that the abuse began then. Priests punching Jesus in the face. Now, they condemned him as worthy of death. But they couldn't carry out the death penalty. They had to go to a Roman governor, Pontius Pilate, and they meet Pontius Pilate at 6 a.m. And they basically said, we've tried him. He's guilty. He's worthy to die. Crucify him. Pilate's like, you can't tell me what to do. I'm the governor. I will judge. So Pilate tries Jesus. It's very clear to Pilate early on, Jesus is not guilty of anything worthy of death. Pilate, though, politician, he's concerned the crowds and didn't, doesn't want a riot to take place. So what is he going to do? Pilate gambles. What Pilate decides to do is to have Jesus roughed up. The Roman soldiers, they knew how to do this. They were experts in intimidation. So Pilate, knowing that Jesus was innocent, put him to the Roman soldiers, hundreds of Roman soldiers, young men from Italy, trying to make a name for themselves. And basically, Pilate said, do anything you want short of death. And so they did. He calls himself a king. A king needs a robe. Somebody put a robe on him. He's a king. A king needs a crown. So some ingenious soldier twists together a crown of thorns and places it on his head. A king needs a staff. So somebody grabbed a, a staff, like a two-by-four, and they put it in Jesus' hands. Then we're told that they blindfolded him. They took that staff away. And these soldiers took turns using that staff and, and hitting him in the head. Being cold cocked left and right. And saying, prophesy, who's hitting you? They're, they're abusing Jesus. His, his physical appearance, again, is being destroyed. Now, Pilate then, he had an idea. He knew he was innocent. Rough him up. And once a year, Pilate releases a, a prisoner, free to go. 
and he'll line Jesus up next to a notorious criminal, Barabbas. And Pilate's gamble was, they're going to see that, that Jesus has suffered enough, they'll say, release Jesus. But before he did so, Pilate had Jesus scourged. You need to understand, scourging was extreme in and of itself. The scourging tool itself later became known as the cat of nine tails. And if you've studied this instrument of torture, which it is, people were intimidated by this. It, it's, a, it's a whip, and, 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 and the leather strap reaches a point where it, it splinters off into, into 10 smaller straps. Very sharp objects, heavy objects. It was designed to lacerate the back and, and to rip flesh. Think of something equivalent to fish hooks. Two Roman soldiers, not just one, two, and the scourging was 40 minus one lashes, 39 lashes. They would have the condemned arch their back, hold a pillar, perhaps chain them to it, and one soldier at a time to the back. The other one, full strength, 39 times. Roman record has it that many people did not survive scourging. It's gross, but there are examples of ribs being pulled out, organs being exposed. People were traumatized by the scourging alone. Today we have post-traumatic stress disorder, PTSD. And I'm not minimizing that, but I'm telling you that scourging alone caused strong men to be wrecked and changed forever. My friends, the scourging didn't break Jesus. He endured it. Pilate didn't know what to do. The humiliated Jesus, who should I release? And the crowd said, release Barabbas. Pilate said, well, then what should I do with Jesus? Crucify him. Most criminals were not both scourged and then crucified. Jesus was. And, and the crucifixion started when, when Pilate said, condemned. And, and, and Jesus, having to carry his own cross, from Pilate's courtyard to the, the place of the skull, humiliated, probably carrying just the cross member of the cross, the transom, equivalent to, to carrying a railroad tie on your back. Quarter mile uphill, stumbling, falling, the humiliated Jesus. He eventually makes it to the place of crucifixion, Golgotha, and the wrought iron nails being driven through his hands and his feet. The, the Roman understanding of a hand is more than simply this part. It's from elbow to fingertip. More than likely, the wrought iron nails were put into the wrist. You, you can position, believe it or not, a place in your wrist that avoids arteries uh, onto a, a cross. You can avoid arteries, but you cannot avoid nerves. Think of the, the nerve pain alone that Jesus went through. I suffered from nerve pain a few years ago, and what Jesus suffered was far greater than anything I ever experienced. In addition to nerve pain, Jesus had breathing pain, labored breathing on the cross. He had heart pain. As his heart was breaking, he had head pain. Imagine a tremendous headache. Thirst, as we talked about on Good Friday. Not only that, but Jesus is, again, being forsaken by God the Father. He's experiencing hell in our place, cut off from God, his Father, paying the price for our sins. 
So just as no one enjoyed life in this world as fully as Jesus, no one endured more pain by contrast and suffering than Jesus did. No one. Now let's just establish that fact, verse 14 of our text. Just as there were many who were appalled at him, his appearance was so disfigured beyond that of any human being, and his form marred beyond human likeness. Nobody has experienced more physical pain by contrast to being healthy and strong to being so filled with pain than Jesus. No one. No one has experienced the mental anguish that Jesus went through. No one has experienced the spiritual pain that Jesus went through. No one. The reason I'm painting that picture is I now want to take you to the original Easter. So Jesus suffered to the point of death. He said it is finished. He paid for all of our sins. His body laid in the grave on the rest of Friday, Saturday, early morning hours of, of Sunday. But just as Jesus said, destroy this temple, destroy this body, marred beyond human recognition, on the third day, I'm coming back. I'm resurrecting. And that's exactly what happened. And you have to, to realize that the human nature part of Jesus, fully divine, fully human, experiencing all that pain. But by contrast, think about how Jesus felt the very first Sunday of Easter, coming back to life, fully strong, fully healthy, no longer in pain. And, and again, by, by contrast, what a beautiful day for Jesus. Imagine how he felt being resurrected to glorified life. No more spiritual pain, no more physical pain, no more nerve pain. Strong again. Sometimes we see people that recover from an illness, or maybe it's even mental anguish, and we say, hey, it looks like you have a spring back in your step, right? And that's good to see that. Imagine the spring in Jesus' step, the very first Easter, and again, the, the human nature side of Jesus restored back to resurrected life. Now, how does this apply to us? My friends, both Jesus' suffering to the point of death, his humiliation, and his exaltation are necessary for us. He, he had to be our substitute. He had to live perfectly, unlike the first Adam. The second Adam had to live without sin. But the price had to be paid, the payment, which he made uh, that Friday before. But the Bible says that, that Jesus was put to death in the body for our sins. He was raised to life for our justification. It was necessary for Jesus to come back to life, to be fully restored, to live new, so that we would be justified. The good news today and every day is that God declares you and me not guilty of sin. Even though we're guilty of sin, he declares us not guilty by reason of Jesus, his death, his resurrection. And again, we, we glorify Jesus uh, on, on this day. Now, the, Jesus also said he's just the first fruit of the resurrection. I'm not trying to minimize it, just, but Jesus said that, that I'm the first fruit. This has happened to me, but this is only the beginning. My friends, that is the promise we have in, in Christ Jesus. Apart from him, there is no everlasting life in heaven. There is a very real hell. 
but through Jesus, there is everlasting life with a quality of life that we can only dream of right now. We will have resurrected, glorified, perfected bodies. We will be changed in an instant, as our reading said. Jesus said, I'm just the first fruit. You guys are going to follow. And that's really good news for us, my friends. But we also have new life right now, new spiritual life. It renews us. It gives us hope. Um, Jesus said that right now I give you life. And, and the, the Christian life doesn't mean your problems go away. In fact, it could be argued that as a Christ follower, you increase some of your problems in this life. But those problems are, are only temporary. Some of you have, have suffered a lot of physical pain. One day you will be pain-free. Some of you have mental problems, maybe even depression, and you battled it your entire life. One day, you will be free of all of your depression. Some of you have been troubled in your soul. My friends, Jesus understands your pain. He's been there. He, he took on your sins. One day, you will be forever free of that pain. There will be an end to your struggles in Christ Jesus. And in the meantime, right now, he promises us as his followers, in all things good, even the difficult things, He's there for us. He will never leave us, never forsake us. He is the exalted Lord right now, sitting at the right hand of God the Father in heaven. He's with us. He has a very bright future in store with us. Now Isaiah, um, the Holy Spirit through him, does talk about this. Verse 15 says, so he will marvel many nations. The newer NIV translates that, sprinkle many nations, but it I don't think that's the, the right understanding. He will marvel many nations that one day everyone will know the significance of Christ. It says, and kings will shut their mouths because of him. For what they were not told, they will see. And what they have not heard, they will understand. Revelation 5, the final day, judgment day, all humanity. Uh, there are 100 million angels worshiping Jesus. People from north, south, east, and west, with one thing in common, been brought to believe in Jesus as their Lord and Savior, worshiping, glorifying Jesus. And those who have rejected him, likewise. But Jesus will come out, and Revelation 5 says that he will look like a lamb who was slain. Everyone will know. But then, again, we, we see him exalted, and everyone giving glory to Jesus, worthy is the lamb that was slain to receive praise and honor and glory forever and ever. My friends, there is new life in Christ, in his fully human person as well as fully divine. New life, that's what resurrection is about. And God gives us new life right now, and he will give us new resurrected life to come. Praise be to Jesus. Amen.